Welcome to the RSVP In Conversation With member podcast. RSVP is a member community for the global luxury wedding and party industry. And every week I interview a different member. After half an hour, you'll know them like old friends. Sit back and enjoy. My guest today describes himself thus. Once my dreams of professional basketball deflated in middle school and my simultaneous aspirations of marrying Britney Spears also seemed to be slipping away, I decided to turn my sights onto other passions. Ultimately, I found that living the dream meant self-employment, being surrounded by good people and good food, and a 90s and early noughties hip-hop aficionado, an unapologetic comedy snob, a self-described psychology nerd, I continue my mission of enjoying life to the fullest and avoiding the pitfalls of boredom. From writing children's books to auctioneering, the professional MC's love of speaking, studying succinct summarization and apparently alliteration is only outmatched by the fondness of friends and family. I credit my grandmother, mom and older brother for instilling life's basic principles, kindness, empathy and education into my approach in everything I do. Welcome, Artem Lomas. James, thank you so much for having me here. I'm very excited. That's wonderful. Now, I think the, the first question to ask is, how tall are you? <laughs> I am 5'9". That's one of the reasons the basketball dreams may have deflated. Look at it this way. I am also 5'9". Great. And I used to play rugby, so at some point I was 5'9 wide as well, because you just <laughs> had to have square people. But believe you me, I was never picked even for for anything resolving basketball. So no, you're yeah. not the quite the right height, I wouldn't have thought. No. That's not to say that people our height haven't been professional basketball players, but they're they're not getting shoe endorsements. No, not at five nine. I mean six nine maybe. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're just missing that one foot. Yeah, That's just, all. Just, just one a foot, foot away. Just one foot. Yeah. Well, you know, you could have been put onto some kind of a rack and stretched at some point in your life and you may have got there but anyway okay well welcome thank you very much you're a recent rsvp member which is great and you are an mc and you think you are the only mc no you're not quite no there's um there's a gentleman who is in a red coat i think that's his name (laughs) okay so let's start at the very beginning you're not that old you're far younger than me which is a big advantage in life but what's your first memory talk about your childhood where did you grow up where were you educated? Where was your family based? That's a very tough question, right? First memory. Yeah. Um, for me, yeah. so it's been it's been a ride. It's been quite the ride. I was born on what is now the border of Russia and Ukraine. I was born at that time. It was all Soviet. Okay. That was literally just the first few years of my life. That was in the 80s, yes? Late 80s. Yeah, 87. And then the family came to the United States of America. Um, the, the One of the reasons was I needed a heart surgery. And uh, America was the place to get that heart surgery. So once that transpired, we, you know, we knew we were going to move. We we already had some family in the United States. We came by. We kind of completed that process uh, to get the majority of the family here uh, to the United States. As I as I'm speaking to you, I sit in the United States, so I say here. And uh, once I had that heart surgery, I was able to continue life as need be, and that's where we went on, you know, living from there. Okay. When did you leave Ukraine, Russia, and come to America? 1993. Right. Okay. So not that far after the end of the Cold War, I suppose. Correct. Russia was then sort of friendly-ish. Um, in some yes, ways. Right? In some ways. Yeltsin was in charge. But it was still, I mean, for America to welcome somebody from the old Soviet bloc and say, yes, we're going to treat you. And presumably they somehow it was funded somehow. 
So, th- so that's that's wonderful. Yeah, I think it was a case of the U.S. welcoming anything that was crumbling uh, in, in that regard <laughs> with a with a former adversary. And in all honesty, uh, the people of the Soviet Union, once it crumbled, were very welcoming to getting out of there as soon as possible. Yes, I imagine they were. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, Many of us were welcome to it even before the crumble. So uh, once that opportunity came, a lot of immigrants or a lot of the uh, former Soviet uh, citizens then became immigrants elsewhere, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, So for my family... Uh, for me, the first memory, honestly, probably just enjoying time with my grandfather, who was slated to come here as well, but unfortunately passed away like about a month before he and my grandmother oh, no. were supposed to come to America. Um, and so having spent that time with him was probably one of the things for me was like a first memory, which is weird because at five or six years old, you should probably have some solidified memories by then. But my hypothesis, and perhaps this is more of a, at some point, a, a conversation with a therapist, but my hypothesis is due to the stress level of having to have heart surgery as a child, some of those memories may have just been kind of cleared away in my uh, psyche. And to me, it's just spending time with my grandfather, my grandmother, family. And then once we did move here, had a great support system of family, including my grandmother who lived with us um, all throughout my childhood. So that for me, the the culinary exploration that she had in her life, she was a doctor, she was a pediatrician. And then once she retired, she devoted her life to just moving around her her kids and helping take care of the grandchildren. I suppose with your situation, that's quite useful to have a grandmother who's a pediatrician. <laughs> Very much so. I think I made it as far as I did probably because she knew what she was doing. Congratulations on being here anyway. <laughs> you you seem you. to have yes. placed a few obstacles on the way. So we're all sort of creative in this industry uh, to various degrees and in whatever single aspect. So is there a particular art form that you like? Are, are you into music, film, art, architecture, all of the above? Totally. I would say there's an appreciation for all forms of art. There's definitely, of course, artist objectives. So there are certainly some aspects or not necessarily forms, but maybe sh- subgenres of art that I don't fully understand. But to me, music is just something, music film is just something that is entertaining. So that's something that fills the time, maybe lightens your mood, um, helps with certain things like fitness. Uh, but for me, my art form that I've really latched onto that I think I'm, I'm partaking in, and you know, I guess whether you're good at it or not is, is up for interpretation. But for me, uh, the, the art of writing, um, the art of creating some sort of conversation that didn't exist and wordplay and just being able to tell a story. And even if that means curating something that's based on information you're given, and then just curating an interesting story from bullet points that aren't necessarily that interesting, but then making it something that people want to hear and enjoy hearing. That's unique. We've not had anyone say that before. That's, and, and that's actually- I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, um, I spend most of my time writing, something that I try and instill in all the team here, but Brevity is one of our brand values, but trying to implement it across the board is is very difficult. And it really is an art. Very few people can do it. James, it's very funny because when we're in school, we're given these minimums of how much you need to write yes. to get your idea across. Yeah. And then once you're out of school, you start to realize that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Brevity is the point. It's a big problem I have with education. I just remember my English teacher screaming at me once saying, You've just written a paragraph, Lord, with one sentence in it. 
And I said, well, it said everything that needed to be said, you know. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it was just, it yeah. just, it's insanity. It's absolutely insanity. I agree. And I know you have an affinity for comedy as well. You appreciate humor. And I feel like comedy is not to disparage, you know, uh, drama or horror, but I think comedy is so much more difficult to to write and implement because everyone has a different take on what's funny for drama or horror, you, you feed fear. And that's that's fairly universal. Comedy is a little bit more nuanced. And I think that is also like a nice challenge for people to that people that enjoy writing. When the great actors, you know, the great Shakespearean actors of the time are always um, interviewed and say, well, what's difficult? So like, well, comedy Absolutely. is difficult. And then um, I think people who are comedians, are stand-up comedians, are normally very, very good actors. I mean, like you've got Bob Odenkirk, for example. Yes. Or um, started off as a stand-up, you know, and uh, from yeah. that point of view, and, and, and he's a classic kind of example. I would say there are comedians or people who started as stand-up comedians that evolved into better actors than they were comedians. Yes, absolutely. I don't find Jamie Foxx that funny, but he's a tremendous actor. <laughs> I didn't know he made that journey, actually, but yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Okay. And is there a, a particular style of music that you like? Are you into particular musician bands? Yeah, as I mentioned to you, you know, being a 90s and, and 2000s hip-hop aficionado, I think that hip-hop unintentionally opened my my viewpoint, broadened my horizons to other music because hip-hop is so embedded in sampling. Yeah. And they sample different types of music. So to me, that opened me up to different disco, different R&B, different soul and funk. And so for me, that's still the core of what I, if you're asking me what I'm going to sit down to and listen to on uh, on a day where I just want to enjoy a little bit of music, I'm, I'm most likely going to the early 2000s or 90s hip hop. But uh, because of my mother's love of music and kind of when I'm in the car as a child and everything and anything is playing on the radio and she kind of goes to different channels and just appreciates music, I think that was instilled in me where... I would say, I mean, you could speak to this a little bit better than I probably at this point. I would say the European uh, European audiences are more appreciative and, and open to different types of music, culture, multicultural, whereas American audiences, I think just recently have started been open-minded about welcoming different types of music. Maybe, maybe. So, I mean, I'm going to come up with a funny line here, which has been Nick from the Blues Brothers. But, I mean, I, I, I don't know how true it is because I've never lived in America for any reason time. But um, I remember... <laughs> It's live for the Blues Brothers, okay, and I'm copying it. But they say, what kind of music do you like? And she goes, oh, both types, country and Western. No. Yes. <laughs> that's very yeah, funny. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, that's but, great. but, you know, I know that that isn't true, but it's just a funny like. Yeah, no, that is, you know what? It probably at some point in some parts of the country yeah. was a fairly accurate you know, <laughs> assumption. I think now with the availability of the internet and with uh, social media, and I, and I can't believe I'm going to give uh, TikTok some credit, but I think it's opening a, a little bit more opportunity for people to explore musical genres and even previous, you know, historically, quote unquote, music where people may have not had access to in the past. But for me, you know, I grew up with an older brother. My older brother liked hip hop in the 90s. To me, that was our connecting bridge. The MC Hammer Vanilla Ice tape that he had is now my Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer tape that I have. So I got the hand-me-downs, including the tapes and CDs. And I just kind of ran from there. And that opened me up to jazz and opened me up to funk. You know, I love Prince. I love the, the classic stuff like Michael Jackson. And then there's also, I dug a little bit deeper. Once you get to a point where you like a certain genre, you kind of want to be the guy to 
to bring that to your friends and go, I dug deeper, so I found this. And and that stemmed from me loving hip hop and digging a little bit deeper and finding different artists. And then from there, finding out what they sampled. And when I did that, that like opened the floodgates to 70s and 80s music. Do you remember the first concert you went to where you paid to, to go in? I do, and it wasn't great. And I think that maybe uh, traumatized me for concerts in some way. I went to a Ying Yang Twins concert. If you're not familiar with the Ying Yang Twins. I d- I'm not, no. No, sorry. They're a, they're a hip hop group um, that wasn't exactly uh, great. They weren't, they weren't good. They were fine. They had a couple of hits on the radio. But when I went to the concert, I want to say they were about 90 minutes late in performance time. <laughs> so it made for a fun wait in some ways, but it also was aggravating uh, in, in much more defining ways. Okay, okay. Well, and were you just waiting there? The, 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 the support act just, just stopped and then you're just waiting and waiting and waiting? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, I would have gone home. I'm afraid. <laughs> but I already paid for the tickets, well, well, right? So now so, it's yeah. kind of like, you can go, but then you won't. It, it was a very much a fear of missing out at that point. Yeah, because okay. you're like, okay, James, once you wait 10 minutes and you go, okay, I'll, I'll do another 10. Then you're at 20 yeah, minutes. And you're like, so. okay, yeah. what's the opportunity cost for the next 20 minutes? Maybe they were just taking a few recreational um, um, substances backstage and just lost track of time, maybe. Oh, uh, that's very possible. <laughs> and, and I'm assuming that's probably what happened. But I, 90 minutes is still extreme for yeah, that. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. So, and do you have, a, do you watch television, film, movies? Are you into, into film as a genre? What would you watch? I do. I'm very into comedy. I feel like if I'm going to invest my time, and as you know, when you're running a business or when you're even in this industry as it is, like there's just, there's a limit on time. There's a limit on time yeah. for everybody, but. Uh, when you're running a business, it's kind of uh, open season for you're going to work one day, 14 hours, and the next day, maybe you, you can devote a couple of time, uh, a couple of hours and time for rest. But when that time does come, when you can sit back and just enjoy some television or a movie, that's valuable, right? To me, I don't take that lightly. So for me, comedy and sports, I typically just watch professional basketball when it comes to sports, but when it comes to, to television or movies, 99% of the time I'm watching comedy. Uh, I, I want to be uplifted. And to me, I am, a, a, as I've told you in the past, I'm a comedy snob. My my comedic uh, evaluations have progressed since I was a child. I think everyone should. If you're laughing at the same things you were laughing at 20 years ago, please evaluate your uh, your comedy standards. That's so true, actually. That is so true. Yes. Yes. I, I loved the flatulence of Jim Carrey when I was six years yeah, old. Yeah. But if you appreciate okay. it in your 30s, maybe... Uh, Maybe broaden your horizons and come. You need to graduate to Ricky Gervais or Sasha Baron Cohen, and then exactly. onto the yeah. which is you know genius to be perfectly honest. I think I think that was absolutely genius in terms of subverting yeah. the genre. There's I, actually can I just give you a name and just Google it? Okay, sure. Titiana McGrath. I'm going to need you to spell well, that. Well, uh, I'll spell it to you later on. But if it, you can shoot yes, me an email, yes, <laughs> Titiana McGrath. If you put that onto YouTube, um, that is something special, especially for well. Just, just, just watch it. it. It is on a different level. Anyway, okay. Good to yeah. know. Okay, so food-wise, everyone has to eat. I mean, if you had unlimited anything and you had every single restaurant, every single type of food, what should you go to? I would say, so my dream culinarily, I don't necessarily love cooking. It's a necessity. And when I'm doing it, I kind of feel like, okay, if I'm going to do it, I, go, I might as well do it right. And I like the ability of knowing what's going into my dishes. So I like to control that. That's more just like a, a type A personality mm-hmm. thing more than it is a culinary thing. But I think for me, 
I love exploring different cuisine. Um, so as I mentioned, my grandmother, I brought her up earlier. Grandma was was very uh, culinarily exploratory. So she was making French cuisine one day and then Russian cuisine the next day and then German cuisine the next day. So it was just kind of all over the place. And in some ways I was spoiled because of that. So now when I go to restaurants, I'm like, oh yeah, I've been there, done that. Like I've had this. Grandma made it 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, for me, my dream in terms of food is what Anthony Bourdain did years ago where I could just do like a worldwide food tour okay, and just and just explore and maybe get to know what that food means to the region and the culture. Um, to answer your question simply, I guess Japanese food, you know, sushi, that's something that's just something that I, I would love to explore more of. Okay. If you knew it was your last meal, what, what would you eat? So if I knew it was my last meal, I knew it wouldn't affect my health. We're definitely bringing some fried things, <laughs> right? So... <laughs> Because I know it affects my health, I do limit that. But if I know it's my last meal and we're calling it a day, yeah. mm -hmm. you're giving me a platter of fried chicken, some ice cream. You know, we're definitely going for the comfort food, and then we're bringing in the culinary, uh, cultural culinary stuff as well. Okay, okay. Uh, but but deep fried food, listen, it is what it is. I understand the repercussions that come with it. But to your point, if you're going to label it as the last meal, okay. bring me some deep fried things and some ice cream to top it off. Okay, okay, wonderful. And um, in terms of in your house, if you had a bar with everything behind the bar and you had a really, really hot bar person to serve you any mm -hmm. drink you wanted, what would you order? You're going to be very disappointed. In oh, this it's going to be something a bit gin and tonic or something, isn't it? Or beer or something. Oh, it's going to be worse. Oh, no. I, I'm, I'm a water drinker. I like water. Okay. I like... <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I can see the disappointment in your eyes. What? Not, not um, even flavored to any degree? With anything? Maybe some lemon, lemon or lime. So I'll give you the background of what caused this. So when I was in college, and I would do the typical like beer or wine. Sometimes I do with a pairing. Um, I appreciate sommeliers. I appreciate the, the mastery and the showmanship. But for me, uh, and my grandfather used to make his own wine. He, he basically would, would put different recipes together. And maybe this is getting a little too deep into the the social political dynamics but when you're making your own wine in the soviet union trying to sell it the soviet government is not too keen on you trying to make your own i money. would understand so, that yes yes <laughs> yeah so that was axed pretty quickly and he was kind of just doing it then as a hobby for he was making wine for the family and i just i never got to that point where i was experiencing the different wines he was making but then when i got to a point where i was trying different wines and different beers it was like okay that's cool when it goes to the spirits that are a little bit more of acquired taste, like a bourbon or a scotch, I've had them. But then when people tell me it's an acquired taste, meaning it's good, you're telling me it's going to take years and thousands of dollars for me to like something. <laughs> I'm just going to go with my water. It's good. It hydrates you and it doesn't stain. Okay. What, and those are, those are the do benefits. Do you have a particular brand of water? Is it sparkling or still? Is it Evian, San Pellegrino or... Or anything like that? Fiji is good. Um, I would say it's definitely still. So, yeah, sparkling doesn't really do it for me. I would say it's still. I know there are water sommeliers. So I know that there's definitely yeah. more than just one or two types yeah. of water. Uh, still water. Um, do I get to pick the bartender? That would be better. Oh, yes. Tell me who, who the bartender would be, please. Um, if we can just go to any point in time, 1996 Tony Braxton, uh, maybe, maybe 2002 Britney Spears. Um, that's way I can at least have a conversation and enjoy my water. Well, That'd be um, nice. I don't think your focus will be on the water if you've got Britney Spears serving you. That's Especially correct. Especially if she's going to do it, do baby, do it to me one more time. 
2002. Yeah. And I have to go back and really look at the specifics of years, but I can tell you 1996, Tony Braxton. So uh, um, maybe this is not, quite the way that this question was going, but um, I'm going to do it to the, to, to the very end. You're having a dinner party in, in your own home, okay? It is not your last meal, but you think, fuck it. I'm going to have fried food and, and ice cream because just, just, just because I can. And there is a great bartender there who is um, doing some water with a squeeze of lemon. It's, it's been shipped on all the air miles from Fiji. Some of, some of you guests maybe just look at you and think, is this guy crazy serving us water? But hey... Britney Spears is is behind the bar, so it's fine. It's okay. And she's also got this bottle of gin, which is slipping into the water that you don't know anything about. Okay. So, um, so you have this amazing dinner party and all the guests are there. And you can have anybody at this dinner party, alive or dead, people that you knew, people that you didn't know, famous people, people who are fictional. Tell me who is in the room, who is going to give you the best dinner party of your life. Right. Very loaded question, and I like it. So I'm going to try to hit as as many areas that are important to me as I can. We'll start with family because I, I would want grandma and grandpa there, definitely. Mom, older brother, like they they have a standing invitation, right? So they would definitely be there. I need them there. And I think they would, they also would make for good conversation. They're good conversation. Then we go to the more famous people that I'm sure the listeners would be more in- intrigued about. Um, I would love Tupac Shakur. Oh, right. Yes. The, the rapper Tupac. shot dead. Correct. Yes. They just found who did it. Well, they've arrested somebody, haven't they? They did. Yes. So rapper slash poet. He does have some poetry that that was published posthumously. I'm just very intrigued. I did go through a little bit of a Tupac phase when I was entering my, my hip hop era, but he's just a very fascinating figure because he churned out so much work in a short period of time. And it wasn't like it was just quantity. It was quality work and just mass amounts of, of quantity of it as well. And the dichotomy of him sort of pretending to be uh, a hard thug gangster while also writing songs about appreciating women and being kind to your mother. I think that to me is fascinating. I would love to have that conversation. Then we would also bring in, I, I guess I would say anyone that's written good comedy, like George Carlin. Okay. As far as yes. um, Gervais, I think I would bring in. I would love people that maybe I don't necessarily agree with, but I would speak to. And on certain parts, I think that it's hard to find somebody you 100% agree with. Yeah, I, Probably not even healthy if you think that you do agree with someone 100% <laughs> of the time. But I would love to speak to people comedically. Uh, Larry David would be another one. Oh my God, yes. Oh, I would love to have Larry at a di- at a dinner party and just see what ensues. Chaos. If th- Chaos, <laughs> exactly. If threesome is um, anything to go with. <laughs> yeah. there's. I can't believe I'm not remembering i i feel so terrible for not remembering the name but the gentleman this was in the olympics where it was the two black athletes that had the the black gloves and they were given the, the in the 1968 olympics yes yes and the third one peter i want to say it was peter something he was an australian and he was in third place he was on the podium with and he didn't have a good career afterwards because he was associated with it even though he was ostracized for that stance Meanwhile, in retrospect, that was actually very brave of him, and it was a great stance to take because he stood in solidarity. I would love to speak with him. Uh, I want to say Peter Norman, but I may be getting that incorrect. That's what Wikipedia's for. So that gentleman, I apologize to his family if I didn't get the name correctly, (laughs) but him. And then I'm also fascinated by there's a very famous uh, photo in U.S. history of a young six or seven-year-old Ruby Bridges who's being escorted. She's a young black girl when schools were integrated she's being escorted into elementary school 
by the National Guard. And just to have a conversation with the woman that experienced that to go, what was going through your head at six or seven years old? And what do you think about that now retroactively? That would be fascinating to me. Okay. People who experience... She, she's probably still alive, isn't she? She is. She's very much alive. Uh, she's like on Instagram to the point where she knows, you know, she's well aware of who she okay. is in history. Yeah. She didn't sign up for it, mm -hmm. but she knows yeah. the impact that that had. Um, I, I believe she's written some books and some children's books as well. Okay. But that that's a fascinating figure to me because that's somebody that it's one thing to sign up to be part of a movement. It's another thing to kind of just be thrown into it at six years old and then just be immortalized in photo form for a movement like that. Wonderful. That is a very comprehensive list. Thank you very much. That's it's a very, yeah, it's a very big table. It's probably the most comprehensive list I've ever had so far. So, so thank you very much. And, and a lot of thought has gone into that. So thank you very much. So when you're doing seven or eight gigs a week, as, as I know you do, every single night's booked mm -hmm. out and sometimes two bookings on one night and you, and you need a week off or two weeks off. What do you do? Where do you go? Just to forget, forget about being an MC for the evening. First thing I do is remind myself to never take seven or eight gigs in a week again. <laughs> uh, that's, a lot, that's a lot, right? Or never do a double again. That's uh, that's something you do and mm -hmm. then you immediately regret. And then later on you forget and do it again and then regret yeah. it. But my first thing would be uh, hit the gym to just kind of mentally recover and also feel like you're doing something productive for your body. Um, and then from there... If, if fatigue is no longer a factor, if I'm in my, you know, 20 year old body again, then I'm going straight to the basketball court. In reality, obviously, I'm just probably just relaxing. I would love maybe not a spa, but just go to something right, like a hot tub, something where I could just relax for an hour or two, get the body right and then hit the basketball court. For me, even though yeah, obviously I didn't didn't make it as far as I would have wanted to in, in my basketball career, there's still something mentally relaxing about that just hearing the the squeaking of the sneakers on the hardwood floor to me just gives me some mental ease and, and brings me into a meditative state i suppose the, the shorter you are the more you can in theory bounce off yeah perhaps so but um not to say that i'm fully engaging in a game maybe i'm just shooting around but it gives me some peace and maybe if i'm in a meditative state i could say why i, I wasn't that good anymore at basketball post uh, middle school most people have a bucket list is there anything on your bucket list you still want to do of you're, course. you're quite a young person so it might as well be quite a long list i think uh, i've come to the re realization that there are things that i don't know and that there's things that i'm going to learn in the future and there that might change my list but there are certainly not certainly experiences, but certainly places I'd want to visit. Uh, I have not been to Japan. I want to make it there. I have not visited certain areas of the world. I still want to make sure I get to. Um, but in terms of lists, yeah, I want to experience, you know, maybe not jumping out of a plane, but I want to experience certain exciting things uh, that would that would create um, a valuable experience that are more once in a lifetime. I'm not an adrenaline junkie. There are, there are adrenaline junkies that probably hop out of an airplane once a year. Uh, I'm good for once, and maybe it's not even out of an airplane. Maybe some a little lower to the ground. <laughs> but experiencing, uh, seeing certain things, you know, I appreciate architecture and I appreciate historic things, but I'm I'm also very susceptible to boredom, and I get bored very quickly and easily. So even if you show me, like I mentioned, the people at my dinner party, if you show me uh, the house that Tupac grew up in, I go, that's great. And then five to ten minutes later, I'm like, cool. What is the next thing that we need to see and or do? So I'm very much experiences over things. I also would love to experience driving certain cars. I would love to get, hop in a Lamborghini and see what that's all about. I'd love to hop in a Ferrari, see what that's all about for a day or two. I would also love to hop into a uh, 
I've had this experience, but I would like it to last longer. I'd love to hop into a restored, you know, 1960s or 1975 Cadillac and and kind of experience that for more than a few hours. Maybe maybe do that for a couple of years of my life and just drive around. And I'm not to the point where I need to do it every day, but just just let me do that, you know, a few times a month and enjoy that. And I understand, you know, it's something that's a gas guzzler and probably uh, rips more holes into the ozone than it should as as an older car. But uh, that's something where I definitely would value hopping into a restored, nice Cadillac. And maybe uh, maybe at some point, I'm not the person to restore it, but if I can get that done for me and I can get that ready to go and hit the road, something that's on the bucket list. And in 10 years' time, doing what you're doing now, or will you change track a little bit? What do you think you'll be doing in 10 years? I feel like 10 years... That's an evil question to ask, James. Oh, I feel like 10 years I, is such a perfect... I'm very evil. <laughs> 10 years is such a perfect like trap for people because you think 10 years is in a long time, and it's really not, but 10 years can change a lot of your life. So I think I'm still doing what I'm doing now from a career perspective while I'm also adding things in. Um, I think I'm doing more speaking Perhaps I'm doing less events as I get more and more tired. Maybe I'm traveling less for destination events as I get more and more tired. Uh, or maybe the 10-year mark is where I go, great, I want to travel more. I don't see that happening purely from a age and fatigue standpoint. I think it works the opposite way. <laughs> but I do think that I'm speaking more um, at industry events. I think I'm just speaking in general more. I would love to get a book or two published. I would get to like to get my, my writing more off the ground that isn't industry specific. I also would love another children's book, you know, check marked off the list. So I think focus more on writing and speaking while also emceeing and, and then also just spending more time with family. Cause at this point, you know, 10 years down the road, my niece and nephew are going to be adults. I'm not married, no kids right now, but I, follow back with me in 10 years i'll let you know if that's changed if, if you're holding something or someone <laughs> in 10 years a little mini person yeah and, and with children it's one of those things where i feel like you need to be fully committed to that oh, yeah, decision oh yes <laughs> oh yes, yes yeah so if you're on the fence about it personally speaking you know and i know options and and opportunities and opinions change but i feel like if you're not 100 percent committed maybe you shouldn't be going for it but I think uh, in 10 years time, I might tell you that, yeah, I was and I am and I did. Wonderful. Okay. So, and who's been in the influences in your life, both professionally and personally, and, and maybe can you think of one nugget of advice that they've given you, which you've really thought that that is it and that I'm going to live my life according to that? Sure. I can start with the professional because it's less boring. Uh, actually, it's more, more boring rather um, than the personal. Uh, the professional, I've looked at people who probably were not setting out to be my, my professional role models, people like Casey Kasem and Carson Daly and Oprah. And, you know, I, I hate to bring up celebrities because you never know what they're going to do five minutes from yeah. now and, and get themselves in trouble. But I feel like uh, like a Carson Daly who showed me that from an MC or a host standpoint or someone hosting a game show that you don't need to be crazy and off the wall at all times. You know, so I tell people I love Flavor Flav and I love some of these guys who are just off the wall and crazy, but that's not my style. You know, and for me, it's a little bit more sophisticated elegance. And for me, from a corporate standpoint, that's a lot of what corporate is looking for. Yeah. So them showing me that that is possible, I thought was great. And to be able to specialize in a hosting or master of ceremonies role was also very important, especially in the United States for me, because a lot of times that role kind of tends to be ancillary. 
So I, I took that and ran with like, if I specialize, I can really, you know, carve something special out for myself. From a personal standpoint, absolutely. My older brother, my mom, and my grandmother, my grandfather as well. But as I mentioned before, I didn't get nearly the amount of time I would have liked to, but my grandmother unintentionally, or intentionally on her part, but unbeknownst to me, created uh, a process for me where I appreciated regimen. I know that if I get up, I make my bed. And if my bed isn't made, that means uh, I'm sick or something horrible happened. So for me, my psyche knows I make my bed, I have a routine. And then years later in my life, when I started talking to other people, and I realized that not everyone has a routine, I was dumbfounded. I'm like, what? No. Did, did your grandma yell at you if you didn't make your bed? And then I realized not everyone had that luxury. Uh, so definitely uh, grandma and mom. And one of the things my mother said to me once, I was complaining about something trivial. And I think I was complaining about something I needed to do. And she was like, well, you know, you were complaining X amount of years ago about something else where you weren't happy there. And then X amount of years before that, even you were complaining about something else. And then I said, yeah, but those are temporary. It was either an internship or something where I was, I knew it was temporary. And she looks at me and she goes, yeah, but everything's temporary. Correct. Right? Including us. Correct. And that was a very big epiphany for me where I was like, oh yeah, like everything. It depends on what the amount of temporary is, but everything is temporary, including us. And that gave me a very kind of no regrets, don't look back, just go for it type of approach. Um, so for me, she's been very influential. It didn't necessarily uh, create a scene of a you know family sitcom where she's sitting at the foot of the bed and music is playing lightly as I learned my lesson at the end of the 28-minute mark. But it was very much a, she had phrases and thoughts that stood in time with me. And she also instilled patience and persistence. So what frustrates you? What irritates you? Ooh. Uh, we don't have enough time, James. Uh, <laughs> Keep it succinct. <laughs> Keeping it succinct. Communication standards. I feel like a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people say nowadays, and I hate when people say nowadays, because I'm like, we've always been bad at certain things as, as humanity. We've always been pretty bad at communicating with each other. Yeah. It's not a new thing. It's just now there's maybe more avenues where we can be bad at communicating with each other. But I think when people don't look back and, and w are willfully ignorant to history or science or, or things that have given us new information. I think to me, from a communication standpoint, from a educational standpoint, or even from an empathetic standpoint, you know, I can't blame people a thousand years ago for not necessarily having the empathy that they should have had because they were living on 40 mile acre, 40 acre, 40 mile farms that they were very distant to their neighbors. So empathy is harder when you, when you live yeah. like that. But nowadays, when you don't have empathy and you're willfully not accepting education, that bothers me. Um, and it bothers me when people have every opportunity to communicate and um, they don't, right? And maybe part of that is it's a professional standpoint when like a client's not replying to you or a prospect isn't emailing you back as quickly as you want. But I also think that creeps into your personal life as well. You go, well, you know, I sent you a text and I would like a reply just to acknowledge my existence. Wonderful. Okay, so we're coming to the end of this, but tell us something that you've done which is naughty, or tell us a dirty or naughty joke, or both. Go on. Go on. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a story, James, if you're okay with that. I'm going to give you a quick, succinct story. I, not many people know this. I don't talk about this a lot because it's, uh, it's a mistake uh, that I learned a, a lesson from. Uh, I think it's good to learn a lesson. Now I'm very diplomatic and succinct in, in how I speak. But when I was a teenager, as many teenagers are, I had a bit of a smart mouth. 
I know the feeling. Yeah. As a teen, well, I'm assuming you've dialed it back as well. Yeah. As a teen, I had a smart mouth. And when I say that, I mean mostly in social settings. And I was uh, a, a junior in high school and I was on student council. And we, in our high school, we had a mascot. No one really understood what the mascot was. And it was a gale, which is a, like a Scottish warrior. Yeah. And I think the running joke was that no one knew what it was when they entered the high school. So the student council decided, okay, well, how about we create something that can give a visual? And someone found an old uh, SNL Saturday Night Live skit of Chris Farley dressed up <laughs> as a Scottish warrior. And they wanted to put that on our sweatshirts okay. uh, for, for student council to, to bring this idea to the administration. Uh -huh. And so we brought it to the administration. And one of the principals said, we can't do that because Chris Farley died of drugs. And in my head, in my smart teenage head, I thought, there are so many better reasons to veto this idea, right? You don't want to make fun of Chris Farley. You don't want to make it seem like we're being sensitive. You know, like there's so many different things. So then I blurt out, well, how about Jimi Hendrix? Or how about Elvis Presley? Or how about Janis Joplin? So I was listing people who also had died from substance abuse. Um, and that did not fare well with the administration when I when I brought that up. <laughs> so they vetoed the idea. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, I'm being interviewed by the school newspaper. And this actually ties well into um, my drinking water and your question about my alcohol consumptions. Um, they asked, they were doing an, an article uh, and a study about teen drinking in the United States. And they asked about uh, consumption, like if you were 16, 17, 18 years old, in the United States, you're not legally allowed to drink until you're 21. Yeah. Most people do not adhere to that yes. law. Um, but they asked, do you consume alcohol? And I said, yeah, at some points I do. And they asked, you know, what is it, peer pressure? Is it certain like parties or certain standards that you set where you're drinking? And my answer was more so, if it tastes good, I'm going to drink it. Meaning like, I don't, it's not peer pressure based. It's more of like, if I decide to make that decision, what gets printed in the paper is, if it tastes good, I'm drinking it. So it, it was it was viewed as I'm endorsing teenage drinking, and that was that was a good enough reason for the administration to give me a call because I already have a chip on my shoulder based on based on what I had said in a previous. You were meeting. already two strikes, weren't you? Then I think one or two. I yes, was, yes. and that that was a perfect reason to then I guess I guess you could call it impeach. I'm not sure or forcibly removed uh, from the student council role that I was part of. Um, and then in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get like a Manchurian candidate. I'm going to put one of my friends on there for next year. And then I'm going to take over. Uh, but then I, I took a step back. I talked to my mother, who's very diplomatic and, and sound, you know, level headed and sound minded. And she said, uh, maybe just like leave it alone for a little bit. Think about it. Uh, learn the lesson. Uh, take heed of it and then move on. And then that's what I did. And then I just also realized that when you're asked questions, be diplomatic. When you're asked questions, think about how those questions can can look on print, even if they're not intended in the same, the yes. same way that you said. Yes. It. No. Okay. Wonderful. Um, so other than that, I, I live a pretty tame life. But that's been my most, I guess, if you want to say naughty, that's been the naughtiest okay. Uh, okay. experience. Well, we are now at the end of our <laughs> of our time and actually this is a long one you've we've we've had a good conversation this is good it's good so i was shooting for brevity well, but well, you well there we go so thank you artem lomax a hip hopper biggie titupac with hoop dreams whose heart is literally and physically in the united states and doesn't curb his enthusiasm thank you so much excellent thank you so much james appreciate it
Thank you for listening. If you wish to join RSVP, please go to the website, rsvp.club, or email me, james at rsvp.club. Our next large event is in Istanbul in April 2024. See you all next week.